0: Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn.
1: Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and joining me are co-host Mel. Mel. Today's interview is, um, it's a tough one. And it is an incredible one all at the same time. Um, yeah,
0: it really is. I'm not much of a crier, but um, I bawled through this episode. Yeah. So you might want to just go ahead and grab those Kleenexes and bring them nearby.
1: Yeah. When we had this conversation with Tammy, she and her husband came over and it was probably almost too fresh to have the conversation with her. Um, I asked her if she would be okay with having it this early after their tragedy, and uh, she said yes, and I thought it was a really good thing for her to share from kind of the raw aspects of her grief because I think sometimes when we're so far removed from it, we lose some of those like just the raw emotions that we're feeling. Mm. And so she really highlights that really well in this interview. But then later she sent me this email. I mean, several months later sent me this email that we're going to read at the end of the interview where she kind of highlights a few of the things that, that she was learning in this process between when we interviewed her and up to this, this point in the timeline. Um, Cause I asked her a question. I said, you know, what is this, what has this taught you? Um, what would you say to somebody who, is experiencing this right now, and and she was a little bit lost for words, which is which is okay. That's okay to be at a loss for words because you know when you're in the middle of your grief, you're just trying to figure out how to navigate it yourself. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. have words for somebody else, but I think it, it it highlights the importance of letting time pass. You know, um, yeah. There's an old adage, Mel, that time heals all. That's not necessarily true. Time does not heal all. We've spent so much time talking about the, the impact of trauma, if you don't address it, the impact of grief, if you Mm -hmm. don't address it. So time by itself does not heal all. Um, Jesus heals things as you lean into him, if you go through and engage in the healing process, but time is a factor. And, um, and so I think this is one of those stories that it's important to illustrate that, that after some time she was able to kind of get some perspective on that and, and, and figure out how would I Talk to somebody about this.
0: Yeah, I know that part of their story involves um, an organ transplant. And um, mm-hmm. I didn't know if you wanted to share a little bit about your story and um, organ donation mm. with Amanda.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think when I was listening to Tammy talk about this, it, it flooded some memories for me while we were in the hospital waiting uh, to kind of get test results back on Amanda. Um, for those of you guys who, may not be familiar with, we took Amanda into the hospital after I found her, uh, in, in our house. And, uh, we were waiting for 24 hours to see if the doctors could operate on her. She had a, one of the bullets that was in her was in the back of her head. And so they were trying to see if the the swelling in her brain would go down. And, um, so we just kind of sat there and waited while we're waiting. Uh, there was a lady that approached me because Amanda had listed on her driver's license. She was an organ donor. And so she pulled me aside and she did it with such grace. I mean, it was, it was very, it was very, um, empathetic and gracious of, Mm. of an approach, but you could tell that it was hard for her to ask this question in the middle of this, like this period of not, of us not knowing what was going on because it almost immediately, uh, entertains the ideal, the the idea that we're going to lose Amanda. And so she asks, Mm. um, you know we need to talk about the organ donation process, and um, for our story, it was a little bit tough because you know here I am trying to make some decisions on behalf of my my wife, whom I at that point wasn't sure if she was going to pass or if she was going to make it or how this was going to all play out. Um, but then also at the same time, there were investigators that were there, and they began to kind of interject in that conversation about how they were not going to be able to um, harvest any of Amanda's organs for organ donation because they needed to, you know, um, do an autopsy and Mm -hmm. as a part of the investigation. So for me, I just remember sitting there and going, you know, having kind of the, the, the rise and fall a little bit of some emotions. Um, I had, you know, just a couple weeks before this, we had heard Levi Lesko's story about how his daughter, you know, that passed away, she was able to donate, um, you know, part of her eye, her lenses, to be able to help somebody else see. And so as I'm sitting there and having this conversation with organ donation, uh, lady, I'm like, okay, well maybe there's some redemption that's going to happen here where someone else is going to be able to live if Amanda dies. And, and then at the same time, there was this like intense reminder of the crime that had happened. And Mm. so, um, you know, you've got the interjection of the investigators right there. And so, that caused me to kind of like take take some more air out of my sails, so to speak, of going okay. Well, then there's not going to be able to be. And so they went back and forth, back and forth. Um, fortunately, they were able to work it out to where we were able to uh, donate a couple of her, her organs. Many of them were not able to be because of the time that they kept her alive, um, trying to wait for test results to come back. Many of her organs began to fail pretty rapidly, but we were able to donate her liver. Um, to To somebody, and so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and we got news about that, so that was really um, another aspect of redemption there, but I, I just remember sitting in this interview with Tammy and hearing about all of that, just kind of that flood of memories coming back and recognizing the difficulty of making those decisions on behalf of a loved one yeah and and going, How do I make this decision and so I felt like I could in some ways. Um, just, just sense and feel, you know, T- Tammy and her husband's pain right there of having to make that decision for their daughter, uh, you know, and to, for her in her situation to spare her life, but just having to rest you know, wrestle with like all the implications of that and the risks of that and all of that sort of deal. So.
0: Wow, baby. Thank you for sharing. I, I know that that can't be easy, but um, I want you to know you really did honor Amanda. Um, and I, I know that especially in that time when you were in the middle of um, the organ donation lady and uh, the police officers, I know that that probably had been very confusing, but um, I... I'm just thankful that yeah. um yeah the Lord was able to use her liver in another person's life and and so yeah. that's that's pretty incredible. Thank you, Mel. So, well, um before we go into the interview, we just want to let y'all know that um we are still going to Israel. That's right. In October 2020. October 2020. <laughs> So that's exciting. We still have some spots left. So if you are interested, um, go to our website, nothingiswasted.com. And what is the backsplash?
1: Backslash Israel. I made it really backsplash. easy for you. The backsplash. Like no, that's tile. something Chip and Joanna do. They put tile on the backsplash <laughs> of the slash, though. You know, it's really interesting. People say backslash a lot, Mel. But I, I recently learned that it's just slash. Oh, that just makes a, my life a lot easier. Slash. So you just say slash. com slash Israel. And okay. uh, while you're over there poking around, seeing if you want to come join us in Israel, we'd love to have you. Also, go ahead and re- reroute over to iTunes because we'd love to have you review and rate the podcast. If this has blessed you, if this has really ministered to you, please do us a favor and do that. This just really helps um, us to be able to get more exposure, so that more people can be impacted by these incredible stories, yeah. and um, and follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries on Instagram. We would love to engage with you there as well. So tag us, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, and um, we'd love to just kind of repost anything that you're posting about. This podcast as it's impacting you.
0: That's awesome. Well, I've said it once and I'll say it again. This really is such a great episode, and uh, we are ready for you guys to hear it. So here is Davy's conversation with Tammy.
1: Tammy, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. You drove. Over from the Cleveland area, right?
3: You're yeah, in Sandusky, person. Ohio, four wow. and a half hours, not bad.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. thank you. It's an honor to have you here in person. We always love being able to do these things in person. I just feel like the conversation is so much more uh, intimate. And in, in this conversation, I'm, it's a really, I think it's going to be a special conversation. Um, every once in a while, we have folks reach out and share their story. And we just get this kind of a Holy Spirit sense that... Um, this is something that we, we want to share uh, with our listeners. And that was the case when, when you reached out and shared your story and your story um, of your daughter, uh, of Maddie. And um, so I, I want to take some time and I want to dive into some of that story because in our conversation over the phone, you just, you really exuded a lot of hope and joy, even in the situation. I was so profoundly impacted by that. Um, and I, and I want our listeners to, to just hear that from you as well. But why don't you kind of take us back a little bit before everything happened. Uh, tell us a little bit about, um, about your life, about Maddie, and then uh, kind of bring us up to speed on, on the, the events that took place.
3: Sure, I'd love to. Um, I'm married. Matt and I are um, married. We have two children, Madison and Seth, who... Uh, Came along five years after Maddie. Um, Maddie, uh, I really thought she would be here, Davy, because Mm. uh, we have shared your podcast over and over. Um, I think I just found out, figured out with Christy. The first Mm. one I listened to was Allison um, Fallon with the yeah, yeah. and and I think I found that because I wanted Maddie to write her story, Mm. and she helps people write books, so I. Found, that's how I found you. And so we would share these back and forth. But anyway, um, up until 21 years, 21 years with Maddie, she was perfectly healthy. Mm. I mean, besides the common cold, near infections, that was about it. So uh, we had the typical family, loved camping, vacations, all of that. Maddie played soccer growing up. She did a little bit of cross country, but that was just because I was helping coach because she really hated <laughs> running. Um, but It takes
1: a unique person to love running for fun.
3: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I ran cross country in middle school and I was like, can we like incorporate a ball into this somehow? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do we do this?
3: That, that's exactly <laughs> what she said. She's like, I'll run if I'm chasing a ball, but just to run? <laughs> no. But so anyway... Yeah, we did all those things. Um, I think Maddie would probably say she was very rebellious in her teenage years. I, Looking back, I don't think so. But as a parent, you're mm. just so afraid that they're going to make the wrong decisions and stuff. And Maddie actually got pregnant when she was 17. And we were like... That's not what you hope for mm. with, your, um, with your daughter, but she graduated from high school. She had um, my granddaughter, Adeline, who is now seven. Mm. And Maddie wasn't the stereotypical teenage mom. Like she was all in, she was a wonderful wow. mother. She later married um, Addie's dad and he was in the Marines. So they went off to California to Camp Pendleton, the San Diego area. And she got pregnant again with her little boy, our grandson, Brenton, who Mm. is almost five. And that is when things really changed. We At first, we thought it was just a pregnancy, but she had a lot of passing out episodes, Mm. which was different from her first pregnancy. But we knew that this baby was bigger. He was over nine pounds. And so we just thought that's what it was. After she had Brenton, though, she didn't get better. Mm. She would um, have a hard time. She would try to work out to get back in shape. And she would was really short of breath, even walking upstairs. She would go into a lot of like coughing fits. And so she went, they lived on base. So she went to a doctor there at the Naval Hospital and they would say, well, you just need to get in shape or maybe it's asthma or maybe it's allergies. But no matter what they did, give it, they gave her an inhaler. Nothing seemed to work. She just kept getting worse. She actually took a fall in the bathroom, and we think maybe that might have been one of her passing out episodes. But they were afraid that maybe she cracked some ribs. So that is the first time they took an X-ray. Mm. And that was when where we're like, oh, something is wrong. So they would describe what her lungs look like, kind of cloudy and a kind of a cracked glass Mm. look to it. But the doctor said, well, you know, let's just give it some time and come back. And Maddie, who was always very headstrong, was like, no, this is like, that's ridiculous. I'm not giving it any more time. So she worked hard. To get it's kind of hard with military insurance to get off base to see yeah. a doctor that is not you know military, but she did find a pulmonologist um, in California and he as soon as he saw the scan said, yeah something's wrong we mm. need to go in and see what it is so I flew out there, and on July thirtieth of two thousand fifteen she had her first biopsy where they went in and they took some lung tissue. Uh, I don't know why, but we just we still weren't expecting anything earth shattering or anything. So it was just me that went. Matt has his own company and we still had our son at home. So yeah. I just remember standing in the hallway and the surgeon came out, I think he was Russian. Um he just shoved these pictures of her lungs into my hands and and said that she had a terminal disease and without a lung transplant she'd be dead in two years and like words cannot yeah even describe how your world just flips upside down and Mm. of course my first thought was to call matt and i told him you know what the doctor said and what the disease was and and that she would need a transplant. And of course, we're Googling right away the disease mm. and what a transplant looks like. And we we're like, oh no. And obviously, I was outwardly very upset too because the nurses actually sent the chaplain to get me and mm. they had to calm me down because at this time, Maddie's in recovery and she has no idea how her life has changed. Yeah. And so. We went. I remember standing beside her and her kind of looking at me. She could tell I was upset. And then the doctor just blurted it out, and in her face, and <sighs> and just how hard I. Matt was out. He actually was out there within twenty four hours. Yeah. And so we got her through that, and we got her. Um, the biopsy ended up being inconclusive. Mm. So then they're like, "Well, it's not that disease that the surgeon said." So then they gave it a name. They said, well, it must be sarcoidosis. And they started to treat her for that. It was a treatment for that, the medicine she didn't tolerate. Um, One of those was a chemotherapy Mm -hmm. medicine. She did not tolerate that at all. And so we were able to get her back to um, home and then to the Cleveland Clinic. Who actually has a sarcoidosis specialist, Hmm. and that was in November, and he said, "Oh no, that is not what she has at all." So, he's like, "I think it's like a bacterial infection, and it'll it's ran its course. We can do this treatment; she'll be fine. It'll be cured." Hmm. Well, we were so like relieved,
1: I'm sure. yeah, Yeah, so
3: relieved and rejoicing in that. But she went back to California and. That is not what happened. She mm. continued to just get more and more sick. She came home March of 2016 and that she was in the hospital in the Cleveland Clinic, probably within two days of stepping off the plane. And they said, we don't even know how you lived through that flight. At that point, she was wow. on oxygen. So she was on oxygen 24 seven. Wow. Um, which meant anytime you went anywhere. So here she's this beautiful 23-year-old girl. I was going to say, she's so young. And she's dragging behind her an oxygen tank. And Mm. um, she also was in um, stage three kidney disease Mm. and had lost the central vision in one eye and was losing vision in the other eye and still... Nobody really knows what's wrong with her, so they just keep throwing medicine at Mm. her. That just continues to make her more sick. And but she she was a trooper. I mean, Matt and I will always say Maddie made it easier on us Mm. um, to watch your daughter be in so much pain. And that was the other thing. Any procedure they did, because her lung function was so low, they couldn't put her under, so she would have to be awake. As they would stick, uh, you know, a camera through the, you know, the arteries in her, na- in her neck and into her heart and into her lungs, she was awake. She felt that. Oh, man. And um, and we couldn't even be there to hold her hand. Mm. So, but she, she was strong. She would have this resolve of just, you could just see it in her face, like, I have to do this. And she wanted to get better. She yeah. had those two precious babies at home and she just wanted to get better. Mm. So we get her back in March of two um 2016 and then she's there to stay because they're like, you you can't get on another plane and which was fine because her husband at the time was supposed to be done with the military in June. And so in April she got really sick again and that is when one of the things I had really prayed against was hearing the words pulmonary hypertension. I mm. knew that she had a lot of the symptoms, but that is actually um, right side. It's to do, it deals with the right side of your heart. right? And when that fails, then you have a lot of swelling, which is why we actually took her in because she had weighed herself at like twelve thirty it 's one of the things she had to do every day, and by dinner time by six, she had gained eight pounds oh, wow. and um, she would gain most of that in her abdomen and and she would like it was painful, yeah. really painful yeah. at one point she gained like twenty pounds oh my goodness so we got her up to the Cleveland Clinic again, which usually meant since we were in sandusky we 're an hour away, we would go to mm. our local emergency room which was easiest, and then they could transport her because they couldn't do anything yeah. with her at all. So we got her up there, and that is the first time that they said, you're right, side of your heart is now failing. Mm. And I remember we just, we just cried because that was the one thing we kept saying, at least your heart is healthy, at least right. your heart is healthy. And then her heart wasn't healthy. Mm. So, I mean, I think at that point, like where I am now, I've explained to you, Davey, is like so different because we've had these four years, four and a half years of a lot of different emotions. And I was angry. Yeah. I was really angry. You know, they couldn't get IVs on her. They couldn't. Um, there's one test that they would try to get, it's called a blood gas, it's very painful. And they would stick her like 15 times, but still wouldn't get it. And she would be in so much pain and, and I would be so angry. And I'd Mm. actually have to leave. I'd have to go downstairs because I couldn't even like stand to be there myself. And so there was a lot of anger in those. And, and I remember saying to God, I'd just been reading about he's the God who hears and, Mm. and, I remember yelling that out like, if you are the God that hears and if you are the God that sees, where are you? Because I feel like I'm asking really simple things like mm. just let them get the needle this right. time. Don't let her get stuck again. And then she'd get stuck again. And and um so there were a lot of really angry questioning mm. days and we're, you know, trying to hold together. A marriage, yeah. um, which we've always been very strong. Matt and I met in high school. And mm. so we've been together since high school. And um, we have a teenage son who mm. is mad. Um, yep. He's really angry. He's supposed to be, you know, his high school years. And, and selfishly, he's angry about that, which very understandable. But um, why do we have to keep going through yeah. this over and over? And... and um, and we got these two little grandchildren, yeah, that um, are wonderful. But at the same time, Maddie always called. Uh, Brenton is almost five now, but when he was three, she'd always call him a three-nager. So mm. like he kept us on our toes. <laughs> I know what that's <laughs> like. <laughs> that's and uh, for sure. twos were rough, and yeah. threes were harder. <laughs> but um, mm. so here we are, faced with even worse news, but no answer. Yeah, and so. We, in June, they did come out formally and give us a formal diagnosis of what was wrong with Maddie's lungs. Um, so they called it pulmonary veno occlusive disease, which mm. means that all of the veins in her lungs were like hard and brittle. So... Mm the blood could not get in and exchange the gases and stuff, so she's not getting oxygen to the rest of her body. And so that is a terminal disease. Yeah, um, Pulmonary hypertension is a terminal disease as well. There's some treatment but no cure for the pulmonary hypertension. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for Maddie, the treatment for... Or The pulmonary hypertension worked against her other disease, PVOD. So Mm -hmm. now we're trying to, you know, they're trying to open up all those arteries and veins and get the blood into the lungs, and they're all scarred and brittle. So it's making everything worse on that side, which sped up the needing a transplant. Mm. Um, I was, Maddie loved to journal. And I love to read her journals. And she journaled a lot of prayers. And then you'll have a grocery list, which always cracks me up. (laughs) um, But so she ended up having to go into um, actually the intensive care unit at the Cleveland Clinic, which is horrible. And my poor girl, we always said she was institutionally challenged. Like if she was in Mm. four walls, she was just, Crazy, yeah. um she liked to be out and about and hands on while the um intensive care unit at the Cleveland Clinic is you have curtains between beds, and it's loud, and most oh, patients man. are unconscious, which is lucky for them because you hear and yeah. see things in other people's families it's like you oh. don't want to remember and you wish you didn't see it. Well, Maddie was awake for all of it, oh man, and so. Those days were really hard, and so that is when they decided that the pill form of medicine they had been giving her wasn't working, so they went in, and they put a port in her chest. Again, she's fully awake. They put a port in her chest that um, has lines that go directly into her heart, and that would feed her her medicine, and twice a day, we would mix up these cartridges, which was stressful, wow. and she would change those twice a day. And so we finally get her home. That's It's called a Hickman catheter. Well, now you've got an open site. So now you have to keep that covered or you risk infection and the mm. infection is going to go straight to your heart. Right. Well, Maddie was allergic to all the adhesive and everything that they would give her. And so on September 15th, she did like she called me at work and I was there within 10 minutes and... Like, I knew it was really bad. And so we got her to our local ER, and we almost lost her that day wow. because she went into sepsis. So they life flight, did life flight to the Cleveland Clinic, and here we go again. Yeah. Or, like, something else. Like, we just can't catch a break. Gosh. Um, But then, in true Maddie fashion, we would always say, like, so the doctors are like, you know, a healthy person getting sepsis would have about a fifty fifty chance of surviving it, that alone somebody was um right. that's so compromised. And so we were looking at do we, you know, we gotta start making some phone calls, but within a few days that girl beat it. Like wow. she was doing better and and we got her home and and uh but we were knowing that transplant was moving up the line where we had been trying to put it off because yeah you don't always for a lung transplant it's so much different than other transplants because yeah i mean you're breathing everything in so the immune system in the lungs are very active so the rejection is very high right, right. and um but we did the polar express with her kids <laughs> at this time maddie is a single mom too mm. i'll say that and she's living with us so she her and her kids are living with mm. us we made um her a bedroom And our downstairs because basically she couldn't do much but get up and go to the bathroom. We had like the longest um, oxygen-like cord. (laughs) And um, we always laughed that she couldn't play hide-and-seek very well. Um, But so that was constant oxygen. We're taking care of the kids. Matt and I are both still working. and, And we're just... Honestly, I feel like one of the gifts that Maddie and I both have is we just can laugh at probably times that people won't laugh. Like yeah. we had a lot of times in the ER and the hospital where we would turn on the office or friends and just <laughs> laugh because what mm. else are you going to do? But anyway, so we took the kids on the polar express mm-hmm. and we knew she wasn't feeling real well, but that, um, trip on the polar express, which the kids loved and it was, I'm so glad she got to be there for that. It, put her back in the hospital mm-hmm. and I found in her journal that that she wrote that for the first time like she's just tired she's exhausted and she's tired of feeling this way she just wants yeah. to breathe and I she just wants to be a mom and she mm-hmm. was ready for transplant so in January is when we started moving forward with that yeah wow
1: I can't, I can't imagine what it was like for you as a mom and you know for for Matt to be watching this the entire time watching your daughter suffering like what you were saying mm. and um, I mean I know when when I just the other day this um, in fact you and I had a conversation while we were in Gatlinburg with our family right while we were there Christy's a PA she had to do some simple minor operations on Weston's thumb Uh, where she had to drain some fluid and stuff. And that, just that little tiny thing, just put me into this place of, oh, my heart is breaking for my little boy and the pain that he was undergoing. I never heard crying like that. So I can't imagine how you guys were feeling in this time. And just as you're sitting here talking, I, I keep thinking about, it's a scene I've not really thought about until hearing your emotion coming through the scene where Jesus looks down at his mother while he's on the cross at Mary and kind of gives some parting words right there and I hadn't really thought a whole lot about the fact that Mary witnessed all of that that Jesus went through all of the pain all the suffering all of the flogging and the the beating and the ridicule and the scorn and the shame and and um i just imagine you know you and, and Mary having a very Mm -hmm. kindred spirit in that and watching your, your child go through this and yeah, probably being very proud of Maddie as well for the resilience and the resolve that she, that she showed in all of that. Um, can you give us a little insight into what were some things that really helped you guys to just, um, you guys to kind of dig deep and have some resolve within all of that yourself as you're watching this, as you're a part of all of this. Um, You know, I know you said some of it was in some ways borrowing from Maddie's resolve, but what kept you pushing through this?
3: Yeah, so um, I've been thinking about that too. And, and one of the things that's um, hard is, Matt, Maddie and I were kind of like this three person team. Yeah. So like one of us could be down and the other two had to, yeah. you know, coaches Um be like the coach. And right. and um, so if Maddie was down, we were the ones like, no, you, you can do this. Like, yeah. you know, and, and we have hope and we talk about the hope that we had and, and, and if it was me down then the same thing like Maddie would be like mom I'm gonna be okay like it's gonna be okay and I mean Maddie had said some things and so sometimes I wonder what she really knew I remember one time she called me and said hey mom when when we were younger like could you imagine what we would be like when we were older and like what we would look like and and what we would do with our lives and Mm -hmm. I was like thought it was a strange question, but I was like, well, yeah, I guess. I think so. And and she's like, mom, I can't imagine my kids any older than this. Do you think that that means I'm not Mm. supposed to watch them grow up? I remember that just like hit me. And Mm. so I was kind of like, like, you can't think like that. So that's kind of what we would do. Like, you can't think like that. Like, We've got to like look for the future. You've got to grab onto hope and the miracle and and what God's going to do. And, and I don't think, I know that Matt would get down. I don't think he ever showed it mm. because even when I would say things, like even in the last, like this last six weeks of Maddie's life, when I was like, I don't think she's coming home and he would do that same thing. Like he can't think like that. Although I think all three of us knew it. Yeah. So, we just kind of kept doing that. Um, on top of that, we have just a wonderful support system mm. in our community. Our community is amazing. We have some amazing friends that um, that just helped. like we knew if we had to rush off to the hospital and we needed to be with Maddie, there was somebody for the kids. there yeah. was you know our pastors at our church, and just so many people that that loved Maddie because people really loved mm-hmm. Maddie. Yeah. Like she was just one of those people that you did love and and she loved to talk and she loved to visit and and laugh and get Starbucks. And so we kind of, I think we kind of lived our life pretty normal. Yeah, It was just when the big speed bump would come, then we'd be like, you know, kind of had to gather ourselves. I don't yeah. know. I kind of always did this like, I'll let myself have three bad days. But after that, like if it lasts, Mm. it can't last more than three bad days, Tammy. Like you gotta, you gotta stop. You gotta get back up and be more hopeful. And Maddie's more resilient. She was very resilient. She's like her dad. Mm. So she kind of would have her, you know, have her moment and then would go straight to the positive. So I think we just did that with a lot of support. and, And plus you just, as a mom, I just couldn't believe it was going to turn out any different than the right. way I wanted it to turn you don't,
1: out. You don't imagine that. I mean, nobody should have to mm. bury their kids. Mm. No. Nobody should have to experience that. So you don't imagine that it's going to happen. And, um, wow. Wow. I want to interrupt this amazing interview for just a few seconds to let you know about our Pain to Purpose video series. You may have heard us talk about it before, but if not, this is a video series we created to help you step-by-step as you navigate a tragedy trial or transition in your life. In the videos, I discuss practical ways to work through your pain, no matter the category it falls under, and how to find both meaning and purpose through it. We believe this video series can have a profound impact on you or a loved one. This can be a great resource if you lead a small group for your church, or if you're looking for personal direction for your own life, or if you have a friend in mind you think could use some help navigating a valley. If you fall into any of these categories and are interested in learning more or purchasing today, head to MyPainToPurposePlan.com. That's MyPainToPurposePlan.com. Now back to our conversation. You are talking about how you guys decided to go and pursue the transplant, you know, at that situation or uh, in this, you know, at this point in this, in the story, uh, what began to transpire from there as you guys pursued that?
3: So yeah, January, it was January, um, I think it was 28th of 2017, we for sure were like, yes. And doctors were like, this is, this is all we got. Um, We had a doctor and going to the healthcare back to that, we did have one doctor that who was just really honest Mm. and that's what we needed. So we were in a room, all three of us were in a room and Maddie was hospitalized again and they sent in a doctor who uh, does transplants and, Matt just said, "Okay, like, what are we looking at? Mm-hmm. Like, without a transplant, what are we looking at?" And he's like, mm, "Maybe six months, mm. you know." So he he left, and you know it was hard, and 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 we had our tears. And I remember Matt like got into bed with Maddie and and held her, and mm. and then he was kind of like, "All right, this is what we got to deal with." So. This is what we're gonna do, and I remember we got her some Starbucks, and we went up on top of the roof of the Cleveland Clinic. The Cleveland Clinic's huge, and yeah. there's a rooftop up there where you can just sit and and we just decided this is what we we're gonna do. So when you do that, the Cleveland Clinic they give you an allocation score, and so you go through all this testing. Again, she's going to have to have a right heart cast. She's going to have to have several things done. And again, she's going to be awake, and she's going to feel it. And so we went through all of that, and she was placed on the list, I think it was March 3rd third of 2017. Mm. Um she was really high up on the list actually one of the highest numbers there at the Cleveland Clinic. So they were just kind of looking for the right um size and I think Maddie was pretty strong in her faith at this point. I look back at her journals and in 2016 she kind of had like a lot of why mm. um prayers In 2017, she was really just praying that she would get longer to live, that she would Mm. get her transplant. Um, We went through that kind of transition. It's really hard to, like, how do you pray for a transplant? Because for lungs, that means somebody else is losing their loved one and order for our daughter to live. So that was hard but after we thought about it, we prayed about it, and stuff, we realized what we were really praying was that when that time comes for that family, we were praying that they would make that decision, mm. which is so unselfish. And um, our hearts broke for that family. We yeah. started to actually pray for that family from wow. day one, we didn't know who they would be. Wow. We just knew that. They would need our prayers and our community prayed for them. And so on April 27th, we, after Maddie was so, so sick, like we knew we were running out of time, Yeah, but April 27th, we got this phone call. Matt was actually like, so we had canceled every Mm. vacation, every little thing that we were going to do, and so Matt's finally going on a mancation, you know, with his guys, and they're going to go to West Virginia, they're going to ride, I think it was four-wheelers at the (laughs) time, yeah, and he's, so they were going to go ride four-wheelers, and his brother's coming down from Pittsburgh, and he has a friend in from Texas, and I had just went up to bed, and I heard Maddie yelling, and she had got the call, Wow! and it's like 11 o'clock at night. And it was a beautiful moment, yeah. but a hard moment. Um, they told us it was a 16-year-old girl that had oh, got hit wow. by a car. Mm. And I remember Maddie was so excited until she heard that, and and she started to cry. And then they mm. gave us, they said, we had 30 minutes to make up our mind. And um, she she was just so brokenhearted. She almost didn't want to take them because oh, of the, wow. how they came, she just was so, like you just felt for that family, and you kind of felt guilty being happy that you were going to have this chance to live, and mm. so we talked about it, we called Matt, told him his mancation was over, <laughs> and so he actually met us up at the Cleveland Clinic, we actually had time, I thought we were going to have to like run up there right away, but no, They we left about two o'clock in the morning, so we had friends come over um, a friend that was gonna stay with the kids, and mm. um, that was that was hard. Manny yeah. was saying goodbye to her kids. They were asleep. Yeah. But um, we brought them to her because she couldn't do stairs, and 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 one at a time, she kissed them and mm. and told them goodbye. And then we loaded up in the jeep, and her brother Seth was in the back seat, and. Maddie got in there, and she turned on her praise music so loud. (laughs) Mm. And she sang, and she prayed, and and we held hands all the way to the Cleveland Clinic. She has a picture on her phone of the skyline, Mm. and we were driving up to that. And so we got in there, and they got everything ready, and they took her away. I remember telling her goodbye quite a few times. I had already determined that like we were going to send her away like good. Yeah. Like I wasn't going to fall apart and I wasn't going to cry and all of that. Like she mm. needed to go away feeling good. And, and she had a teacher that used to call her Martha instead of Madison. So I would be like, you got this Martha. And, <laughs> and of course, once they took her away, then yeah. her dad and I like, that was hard. But so it was 14 hours before we would see her again. Um, Her lungs were so bad that they were fused not only to her chest cavity, but to her heart and stuff. So it took longer. And we finally got to see her. And like, it was a miracle. Mm. Like the whole I once was dead, but now she's alive because she literally, she was on bypass for so long. And she pretty much from the get, I mean, we had some issues from the get go, but she was home in 15 days. Wow. And um, she walked her first mile. Like that's the big thing, the mile yeah, club. Right. Like It took her a long time to do it, but we bought her this iWatch and we walked the hospital halls because they have this board and they put your name on it. Wow. And, and she was not leaving the hospital until she got that star. Man. And so we did that and we got home and Man, she just, she did great for three months. Like she started working out and she went from being really malnourished to um, she had muscle and she's rollerblading downtown and, and she's taking care of her kids. So she's home in May. She's in her house on her own with her kids in July. Um, Mm. Taking them to Cedar Point, taking them to Soak City, swimming, that she had never been able to do that, like getting the water. And so, I mean, it was amazing. It really was. Yeah.
1: It was a miracle.
3: It was a miracle. Like we knew there was no other way to explain it. Yeah. And uh, so one thing, because it'll come back later on when Maddie was still um, intubated and and she was trying to wake up and but she couldn't speak cuz she had the tube and everything and she was restless and somebody's like well maybe she could write it like we could tell she wanted to say something mm. but we couldn't tell what she wanted to say and and so we gave her a clipboard with a piece of paper and a pen and she just wrote over and over I love you. Mm. I love you. I love you. And it's all messy and she had a hard time doing it. And we have that frame that's actually beside Matthew's um, side of the bed. Just, I love you. I love you. And that's the one thing that Maddie always wanted us to know is, I think that's what I miss the most is how she made us feel. She loved us. <laughs> and, uh, but like I said, then we have three months, three amazing months of like no problems. Yeah. No problems at all. In fact, we were so excited. We finally went to Mexico <laughs> on family vacation <sighs> and um, she couldn't go, but we promised we would get her there. We loved to scuba dive. Yeah. And so we took our son and um, he had just graduated from high school. So we took him and, and, uh, and Maddie had our first case of rejection and I flew back early mm. to be with her.
1: Sammy, the, um, the roller coaster of that, this season where you're witnessing a miracle, I'm sure you're breathing, not just a sigh of relief, but you're elated. And yet at the same time, probably holding your breath. And then, you know, just as you think, wow, maybe this, we were in the clear. Maybe this is, this is our new life. This is what's gonna happen. She seems strong. she seems every like everything's taking and then you get news um that that her body's beginning to reject it. Did they tell you what the like chances were that that was gonna take place? What are the I'm not familiar with, but any statistics on lung transplants and the acceptance rejection rate for that?
3: Well, they give you all of the good stories. Yeah, exactly. You know, the people that make it 10, 15, 20 years, and there are. Yeah, yeah. We actually had a um, a guy in our community that also had a double lung transplant, and he met with Maddie, and yeah. and he's doing amazing. Um, you know, I, you're right. Like, definitely, we thought, this is our life. Like, we mm. beat it, and wow, God is going to get the glory. Like, yeah. we had people that were just so, like they they came to church because she spoke at our church and she spoke at some other churches and the community um like had her speak at the police station and like all these things because she had just this wonderful story right. and she was so positive like i said she made it easier on us she could have just been and have every right to just be angry and yeah. bitter and this isn't fair and this isn't and uh but she for the most part stayed really positive mm. and she would would always laugh cuz Maddie could rally like no other so there <sighs> were so august was the first rejection um back to the chances with i think it's like 50% for the first 5 years and then it kind of increases toward mm. there um and it just depends so Because the lungs breathe everything in, and the reason that you reject a transplant is your own immune system. So if it wakes up and it realizes that...
1: This is a foreign object. It shouldn't be in here, yeah.
3: Absolutely. So that's what they were trying to keep suppressed in Maddie, and and they could not keep it suppressed, or they would suppress it so much she would get really sick. Get sick, yeah. So we just... They could not ever get things... Her levels mm. right, but August she had that first thing of rejection. But then we kind of went a while, and she was fine again. Yeah. Uh, she was gaining lung function, and then all of a sudden, there's—I mean, she was definitely having side effects from the medicine. So her stomach mm. didn't work right. Um, they don't know if it's they cut a nerve or was it was at the medicine, but it's basically paralyzed. So then she. Is can't eat without vomiting, mm. you know. She can't take all of her medicines, like she had to, you know, they had to work with some different things, so she's getting very thin. Yeah, um, she had lots of headaches because of the medicines, but I said she would rally. So, for her four son's fourth birthday, she was actually in the hospital for I think a week. They had to, because her stomach didn't work, they basically had to pump it. So she mm. they shoved a tube from her nose into her stomach and pumped everything out. And, um, you know, she texted me, I'm, I'm coming home today. So as soon as I get this tube out of my nose, I'm mm. going to be home. And sure enough, Maddie was home within two hours. She had this big Captain America birthday party for wow. her son. And so she just kind of didn't Waste a moment when sometimes I was worried, like, yeah. Maddie, you shouldn't go to Cedar Point. Maddie, you shouldn't do this. Didn't. Yeah. But I'm glad she did because wow. she just...
1: She got to experience some things that, you know, and, and kind of squeeze out every last ounce of, of the time that she
3: had here
2: with her yes, boys and with her kids. And,
3: so one of the things that the doctors didn't really upfront tell us for sure was that Maddie was in chronic rejection, mm. which going back to the healthcare thing, I wish they would have been honest because yeah. we would have done things differently. We had canceled a trip to Disney because you'll feel better next year. right? You know, so things like that kind of stole our chances to make our own decisions. Mm-hmm. And I would just wish we would have known. Yeah. Um, so she was in chronic rejection and we did not know that until her last day in the hospital. Wow.
1: Now when you and I spoke... Um, you talked to me a little bit about, I mean, you've already mentioned some of it here on this, this conversation of Maddie's faith and, you know, her reliance on the Lord through all of this. One of the things you told me that just, it really touched my heart so much was that, um, and I don't know where you said at what point you guys were introduced to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, but that she began listening to it and, um, and you mentioned something about how in the hospital there were two podcasts that she listened to. Do you remember this? That you mm-hmm. talked about? can you can you tell us a little bit about this? Because this just impacted me so much personally, Tammy, to hear that what is what we're doing here, the conversations we're having here, was speaking into Maddie's heart in the middle of all of this as well.
3: Yes. So Maddie went back into the hospital September. 23rd of 20 or 2018. But prior to this, like she was so deep in her faith, so she went through a divorce mm-hmm. um and then was surprised with a custody battle, you know, because of her health. Um yeah. but trusting God in that, I think that was one of the hardest things, but you know, she's really deep into the word and and so She liked listening to, I'll probably mispronounce his name, um, Stephen. (laughs) Stephen Furtick. Yes. Okay. Yes. So she listened to him a lot. So she would share that with me. And then I had found, because we wanted her to write a book, and I think that's how I found your podcast. Although I obviously heard your story Mm. um, when it came out, because it was all over. And so I remembered your name. And so I looked you up. And so Mm. then I started sending them to Maddie, or we would... Just listen mm. to him. So when she went into the hospital September 23rd, that was the longest day that she had. So we were at six weeks. And for the first time, we didn't have our upbeat. I'm just going to beat mm. this. And yeah, she would get frustrated because she hated being in there. And And as I read her journals, a lot of like, I feel guilty. I have to leave my kids mm. again. And they need their mom. And especially the last three weeks, I, you could walk down the hallway and before you got to her room, she, you could hear the podcast. Mm. So it was the nothing is wasted or it was Steven or it was her praise music. And mm. she just listened to him over and over. But it was the first time Maddie didn't really talk to us. Mm. And that was really hard. I would go up there and, she just had to be like so into herself. It was a totally different thing. Looking back now, I know that I really believe that it was, she was dealing with God right. and preparing herself. Matt and I knew that even though the doctor said, oh no, like most of her oxygen needs are anxiety driven, but we knew they were not. Yeah, um, We hoped they did a procedure and she ended up getting a blood clot, but they didn't catch it for quite a while, so it was kind of more like yeah. they'd say oh she's i th- I went up there three times to bring her home, and mm. something would happen and I just just knew that she wasn't coming home mm. and so one of those we just call them the tender mercies of God that he told us, but the doctors didn't. Mm. I remember one day I took up a a journal that I had written when the kids were little and and I just read it to her, and and she just she just had tears. Um, she didn't say a lot. She cried. Yeah. But yeah, so just listening to the stories, and and I listen to the podcast all the time of the times that God was there for other people, and it didn't work out like you thought it was going to work out, mm. and. Just seeing those people's faith, and that's what I reach out to see too. And and I hope that we can be that for other people because I know that's what Maddie would want. Yeah. If you know that somebody else is is making it there, it's not what you planned, but you can still be the best version of yourself. Mm. The side of it, um, that's what I wanted. Yeah. And um, so it was after those six weeks that. We actually one the doctor that came in and told her she would need the first transplant, like that, the Cleveland Clinic, came in and told us that she, you know, like she's probably going to need another transplant because she's not going to get like when she goes home, she's going to go home like this, right. like this is your life now, and you're on more oxygen than before you got the transplant. Right. And so they did the the workup, and Matt and I went up Monday. We were supposed to hear from the head of transplant if they were gonna list her or not, and I didn't imagine that they'd have a different answer for a 25-year-old. But we waited there all day, <laughs> and finally, the director of transplant came in, and, and I kind of fast-forwarded as this. Okay? No, that's fine, yeah. Okay. And we went. She came in, and and we knew that she was going to say no
2: mm.
3: by the way she was talking. And so she finally said no, that they, Maddie wasn't a candidate for transplant. It wasn't going to work. And I just remember looking at her and looking at Matt, and I didn't think I'd hear that. Like, I didn't, I was afraid that she would, die waiting for transplant or in the surgery or something, but I never dreamed that mm. they wouldn't give her a chance. Um, but they said no, that, you know, medically she could not do it. So they told us we had, um, you know, we asked, well, how long? Yeah. Like, and we want to get her home. Like if you're not going to, if you can't fix her, we want her home. And And we have Stein Hospice in Sandusky, so we would be moving her there. And they said, well, we think you'll probably make it to Christmas. So that was on like October 30th or something like that. And um, she did say, I I remember her saying, I don't want to die. And seeing somebody so young faced with that and it being your daughter. And then... There's all the horrible things, like, in order to go to hospice, you have to sign, do not resuscitate. Mm. And I watched her faces explain that, and just uh, the way that sunk into her, and, and she looked so afraid. And the lady started to say that, and she kind of motioned toward Matt that Matt could sign him, and Maddie said, no. No, I will sign them. Mm. And just like, so I can't imagine if we had to sign it. And and she didn't want us to have to do that. So yeah. she signed them. But we rode in the ambulance, and there she is talking about Cedar Point rides and telling the guy in the back of the ambulance how great they are. And and I'm just sitting in the front of that ambulance thinking, I I cannot even believe this, that this is happening we hadn't told our son yet, because they kept telling us she was coming home and he's away at college and we hadn't told him yet. And so we uh, are trying to figure out what to do. We're worried with the custody thing of what's gonna happen with that if news gets out. And so we're kind of quiet about it. So that's on Tuesday, we're meeting with attorneys and getting her settled and um, brought the kids up. and. Well, I stay the night with her Tuesday night. So Wednesday we bring the kids up and and Maddie like that's what we kept saying. Like how can they not give her a transplant? Like she's asking for a Starbucks and she's having a wonderful time with her mm. kids. Like her, so hospice is so much better than the hospital. It doesn't seem like a hospital room and the kids are playing and they're just having a great time with mom and and then we knew our son was coming home on the weekend, so we thought, well, we'll just, we'll just tell him then when he comes home. Yeah. And, but that was Wednesday, Thursday, we had a good morning and afternoon with her. And, and then we took the kids home for a little bit and then we brought him up to say goodnight to her. And Maddie just didn't look right mm. at all. And... Matt was kind of, he clued into it first, like there's something not right. And so we knew that we needed to get our son. So we called our pastor because we wanted his car back too. And we went down and it was about midnight when we got to his dorm room and he knew. Mm. He opened that door and saw mom and dad that, and his pastor, that was not good and he just fell apart. And we got him got him up there to Maddie and she's still talking, we we're grateful for that and she, he just laid in her bed and mm. just begged her not to go. And she just held him. She just held him. We didn't bring her kids she wanted. I asked her if she wanted her kids, and first she said yes, and then she said no. Mm. I don't want them to remember this. Mm. And I, another thing where she made it easier on them because of a mom, I would have wanted to hold my babies again. But she didn't want to hurt them. Mm. She wanted them to remember playing with her and, and coloring with her in the bed and, and stuff like that. And so we just we just laid in that bed with her and there was a piece there though and that's where you go back to and I'm glad I write write a lot of things down as preparing for this. I read a lot and Matt and I point each other back to that a lot, like because um the thought of living the rest of our lives without Maddie is pretty paralyzing. Yeah. But we know it's not forever. Yeah. We know that we'll be together again. And um, we just laid in that bed with her just Matt and I for like an hour. She's so beautiful.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, that's one thing I always admit those last six weeks I Felt like such a privilege that God would use me as a vessel to bring mm. Maddie into this world. And, and she honored him and her life so well. And, but God really used Matt as a vessel that would help her to transition mm. into glory there and he would talk to her about Narnia. They read all the books together <laughs> when she was little and and the movie and how he would tell her it's just gonna be like that when Aslan comes over the hill and mm. and that it's gonna it's gonna seem like a long time here, but it's not gonna be long for you, honey, and we're all gonna be together again and and he just I told our pastors that I I fell in love with Matt all over again those days, watching him just be there. And for so long, we had pushed her and pushed her, and and we told her this time, Maddie, it's on your terms, honey, however you want to do this. And uh, she just was able to let let go. Wow. So after an hour of laying in bed with her, we... uh, the two of us cleaned out the room. We didn't want anybody else to come back in, and we held hands over and we prayed and that just her face would continue to strengthen us and that we would always remember that peace that we felt there, and I know it was a just a different peace because one of the nurses there and his Mom shared with our pastors, he's not a believer, but he was like, there was something different. Mm. There was something different there. He goes, he said, I wanted to pull that dad out and say, how are you doing this? Like, what is different about you? And so we just point ourselves back to that peace that we know God gave us. And Maddie speaks about that peace in her journal journal a lot, like the peace that passes all understanding. Yeah. It's
1: almost like in that moment, heaven and earth, now and eternity, <laughs> were just touching.
3: Yeah, that's the best way yeah. to describe it.
1: It's like there wasn't even a distance between the two. And um, there was just this beautiful pass-off, hand-off right there. Whew. Tammy, normally I have a lot of commentary. Uh-uh. And I have a lot of questions and, um, I don't really for this, um, this is something that's so heart wrenching and horrific that no parent should have to undergo. And yet at the same time, um, what you just described right there is something so beautiful that, you know, I remember shortly after Amanda passed away, I read this in the Psalms. It says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints and um, I remember asking Lord help me to see how this is beautiful um, but even just getting a, a a picture of the scene that you just painted for us there's something beautiful about that that this life that we live right here is is so fleeting it's so temporary we're a vapor here today and gone tomorrow but this thing that we have to look forward to together, you know, in eternity forever, where all these tears that are in this room right now, they'll be wiped away. There won't be any more pain and suffering and death and cancer or lung disease or anything like that. And uh, you guys got to taste a little bit of that in that moment, even in the in the same moment of the depths of your sorrow. Could you take just a minute or two. And, um, could you just talk to somebody maybe who's listening right now and they're in the same space that you found yourself in where they're feeling disappointed by God? You know, think of John the Baptist. When I think of a story like this, where this was not in any way, the way you would have written things or that you expected things to go And when John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus while he was in prison going like, hey, what's happening right now? Like, this is not how I expected things to go. And he was facing his death, a beheading. Jesus said, "Um, I'm working and I'm the Messiah. I'm I'm the one that you've been waiting for. You don't need to question that. Don't be offended by what's happening right now, even though it's not playing out the same way that you thought it would play out. And you guys kind of have that, John the Baptist story. And yet what I'm seeing and hearing in you is that, and we talked before we went on air about how you're looking for the thumbprints. You're looking for the evidence of God being in this. Could you just take a couple of minutes and speak to that? Where do you see God in this? How would you encourage somebody else that's in this kind of a situation too?
3: Yeah, I would love to, because, you know, when I lost, we lost Maddie. I, I knew my relationship with her was secure. I know that I'll see her again and we'll be together forever. I was really concerned about my relationship with God. Um, so many unanswered prayers. And I would always say, God, you're kind of hurting my feelings here. Yeah. But I also saw people like who were so excited and believed when Maddie got her miracle, turn angry and not believe. Because it didn't turn out how we thought. Mm. And I did start to pray and I started this this Bible plan with a friend. She's like, what if we just read the Bible? Because like anytime I tried to read a Bible study, I was like, Oh, that does not that doesn't help. Mm. That doesn't pertain. And so I just started all of a sudden I just felt like God was saying, Just tell the people I am love. I am love. And every time I read something, that's how I would see it through those. Mm. So the difference for me, how I I look at it and I feel like God has confirmed this truth is we think about like God is like he's everywhere. Yes, He knew he knew what was going to happen. And it says he knows the numbers of our days. Mm. I don't know if that means he numbered our days, but he knows the numbers mm. and he's already... He stood when we were rejoicing with that with the miracle of transplant. God had already stood in the place where we would be crying over Maddie yeah. that she passed. He knew that, and I thought as I read the verses where it says He doesn't waste our tears; He collects them in a bottle, and and He's close to those with a broken heart. And as I watch my friends or People close to us or Matt and I, when you're that close to somebody that's hurting, they're crying with you. And that's what I remember writing in my journal. What if God cries too? Mm. God's plan wasn't for disease and death and dying. I know God is the author of life. And I praise him that he gave us Addie and Brenton because they helped Maddie to fight and they helped. Matt and I to continue fighting because and he put those support systems but it wasn't his plan that Maddie would die of a disease. I'm not going to get into the whole line of well he has power and stuff like that but Mm. I'm saying that that was not his plan for this earth for any of us and one day he's going to redeem all of that and there are so many people hurting and so I just see that God has been alongside of us and he's captured those tears and mm. when jesus wept at the tomb of lazarus i just picture god weeping too mm. because sin and death were not supposed to be a part of our story and it is but then he conquered that death and how amazing is that yeah. that we're not separated from god or from our loved ones forever yeah and we were looking through a photo album of when the kids were little and Matt just made the comment and I tell myself this a lot, like, look how fast they grew up. Like, here they are, little babies. And, mm. and you know, Maddie was, we celebrated her quarter of a century birthday in September and um, how fast that went. Yeah. So how, like right now it seems so long, but we'll be together again. But yeah, I think Davy, the most, the thing that I would encourage people is just to look for God's love and not to see him as somebody that just like snatches your loved one away or mm. whatever. And I think people have to go through that process. Yeah. Um, and I think God is great with that. We've been through that. I know I have, and I just, I always feel like if I search within God's Word, I'll find the right answer. Mm. And so that's what I've always done, and and He really has just shown me over and over. And I feel, honestly, I feel more loved by God during this process than I have my entire life, Mm. and looking for those those tender mercies, the wonderful things that He gave you, knowing that you would go through something so horrible he didn't leave you alone he set those people up that are your support system or he sent you this nothing is wasted podcast you just happen Mm -hmm. to click on it or you know something as simple as you know finding a verse in maddie's journal and Mm -hmm. seeing her face. and so just keep searching and it's okay and it, it doesn't like we still have hard, hard days, yeah. we still have a lot of pain, but there's a hope that comes with it that's just yeah. just amazing, and when we can stay in those moments, and I don't stay there all the time, but when we do, there's a whole different piece, and mm-hmm. so just searching for that and being open for that and and so I guess that's just what wow. i I'd, I'd say that's what's worked for me, yeah, so one yeah. more thing, I forgot the most one of the things that because we had those last moments with Maddie. One of the things she told us, and I guess that's what I would reach out to people and say that I've lost a loved one. Maddie said, oh, mom and dad, do not be sad forever. Mm. Like, please. And of course we told her we would be sad forever, but she's like, give, give Addie and Brenton a wonderful childhood like mm. I had. And I've shared that with another friend that lost her daughter in an accident. And that sometimes people can feel guilty if they're happy again yeah. or whatever, but your loved one, like like Maddie said, don't mm. be sad forever. Like I'm, you know where I'm going and, and just be the best version of yourself now. So wow. that's what we honor her in doing. Wow.
1: Wow. Well, Tammy, thank you. It's an honor to have you here. Honor to have you share on the podcast and- Really appreciate you and Matt making the trip up here for this. You're welcome. Okay, Mel. I want to read this letter that Tammy sent us. Um, she said, "This Davy and Christy. I hope things are going well with both of you, your family, and your ministry as." October is coming quickly and Maddie's story will soon be airing. I think often about our conversation. One thing I come back to is the question at the end. What would I tell someone in our same or similar situation? I'm not sure what I said just five months out, but now I'm almost 11 months out and I've felt the pain of mother's day, her birthday, the month of September. I was very aware that we were coming down to the end of the wonderful memories we shared before she went to the hospital. The one year anniversary is coming soon. And now that day will bring pain but I will get through that day. What I would tell people now is not to be afraid of the pain that you feel. For months, I would have anxiety about grieving. And through therapy, I've learned to switch my thinking that the pain I am feeling is born out of the love that I have for Maddie, not the tragedy.
2: Mm.
1: It hurts, but it is not a negative thing. My therapist calls it expanding and contracting. As I learn to allow the pain space in my life, it is not as, it is not as all-encompassing. I've gone days without being able to take a deep breath, which is an indication for me that I'm probably soon going to have a rough day. Once I allow that pain to come and I spend time with it, I can breathe again. The darkness lifts a little and I can attend to the things I need to do. I can listen to others that are hurting The other thing I would say is it's okay to have questions for God, to cry out in any emotion that you have. He is a God that can handle it. He made our emotions. He inspired the book of Lamentations and the psalmist. I trust that if I look to him for my answers, I will find them. I'm not sure that I will ever ask the big why questions, because if there is an answer, then I don't believe it will bring me peace or hope. But I do continue to ask, how do I move on from here? What will my future look like? Will I find hope again? Who can I count on? How do I show others his love? Slowly and gently, he is answering me. I would also encourage people to find a support group of others that have gone through loss similar to their own. I found myself feeling very lonely and alienated, even among my friends. It it was as if it was them and then me. I felt put into this category and I felt a loneliness that was so dark As I open myself to others that have suffered the loss of a child, especially if they are further along the path, it helps not to feel alone. It gives hope that there are going to be good days again. I would especially tell people to be gentle with themselves. Grief is exhausting, and sometimes we can push ourselves to do the hard things, and sometimes we need to make the choice to be gentle and say no, or I can't do whatever it is this time. Lastly, Maddie left us with a gift. She made us promise to find happiness again. We don't have the guilt that I hear others express about being happy or laughing. I am sure if given the chance, their loved one would want the same thing. We find that we often have two opposing emotions, such as joy at watching her children laugh and play, and sadness that she is not here to see it. But we are grateful that we have that joy. Maddie always said, life doesn't have to be perfect to be beautiful. And we continue to live out every day when we choose to acknowledge the joy and hope we feel, however small it may be. Again, I was just thinking about that last question. And even though I don't remember what I answered, I can assume it's different now. Wow, Davey. Wow.
0: Tammy, thank you so much for sharing your story and writing that letter. And that was so beautiful (laughs) and um, so helpful.
1: Yeah, I'm absolutely positive that somebody is listening to this right now and they've just experienced the loss of a child specifically. I just had this feeling, this prompting. And um, I just want to reiterate what Tammy said that, um, that it is not a bad thing to feel joy again. Mm. It may take some time, but I love the fact that she said, if your child was here and could tell you they would, they would want you to, to know you, you can be happy again it's okay. Mm -hmm. You can be happy. Yeah. So hmm.
0: that's really good. Well, um, before we hop off today, uh, we want to thank Ryan at sleeping at last. He is the one that provides all of the music for the nothing is wasted podcast. And you can, uh, look, look up sleeping at last, um, on iTunes or Amazon music, um, anywhere music is downloaded and streamed. Mm -hmm. Uh, he has some really, really good stuff. He is a brilliant, um, artists. So you need to check out his work. Um, before we go check out this clip from next week's episode. For years working with clients and mental, traditional mental health, it was so much talk about feelings and overcoming trauma and things mm. like that. There is also this other piece of how do we make these things work for us and not against us? Wow. How do we rewrite the ending? How do we become the co author yep. with our loving father? Yeah. Really, that's what it is. Because unfortunately, I do think a majority of people will choose to be bitter yep. and angry and broken, really broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I refuse to believe that I had been through everything that I had been through to just be a shell of who I once was mm. without the ability to ever go back to who I was even though I didn't even want to go back to her yep cuz I didn't like her that much mm. really and I but I didn't get this back until I went through everything that we went through